You're listening to Matter of Pride, the comedy education of queers and allies with me, comedian Erin Twitchin. Each week, I take a different area of gay history and break down the basics. I do the Google so you don't have to. This week, we're discussing dating via a quick detour of my soup phobias. As ever, the best way to support the show is by sharing on social media or leaving a review on iTunes. Last time I also discovered if you're on Android, then you can review at Podcast Addict, which I would love. For more information on the issues covered in this show, there are links to resources in the show notes, as there are with all past episodes. So let's get into it. For a minute back there, I was completely obsessed with dating books. I truly believed by following the advice of absolute strangers with witty names like Dr. Honeylove, I could truly find romantic happiness. Dating books perhaps give the worst advice. I read one which said, If you want love, you need to have space for that person in your life. You need to make space. Literally make space. Find a parking spot for their car. Use only half your wardrobe. Sleep in one side of your bed. I started only paying half my bills and got kicked out by a landlord. Their advice is not sound. I never really felt like any dating advice represented me. It was always snatched from the corners of Cosmo magazine trying to fit a heteronormative setting onto myself. And all of these so-called dating experts are commercial entities. They're businesses. Life advice book The Secret has sold 35 million copies. Let me save you some time. The Secret is charging $13.99 for a book that is mostly pictures. Essentially, dating is a numbers game. If you are queer and single, that's okay, because the numbers are actually against you. It's straight people who should worry. There's hundreds of them. Only 2.3% of the population identify as gay males. Maybe 4% after a drink. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot, does it? Like, it feels like more. No, we just take up more room at Pilates. Statistically, only 40% of that population is single, which is 0.9%. So in every room of 100 people, I don't even get a whole one. And the bit that's missing is always like the personality or the morals. So when people say, Oh, Aaron, you've slept your way around Birmingham. Yes, but it did not take as long as you think. We now live in a dating world predominantly based on apps. Four in ten adults in the UK say they have used dating apps. The other six are lying. I've never felt people on dating apps are looking for what I'm looking for. I want something more than a midweek mingle. I always thought I wanted mortgage-ready marriage material. I'm not on Tinder. I'm on Rightmove. These days, there is a dating app for every niche requirement you could have. There's Mouse Mingle, for those who love the D. And by D, I do mean Disney. There's Gluten-Free Single. Don't get bread. Get bread. And everything from muddy matches for country trekking to enterprise dating for star trekking. But even with this diversity, are they truly inclusive? I often think, as queer people, we're our own worst enemy for creating niche stereotypes for ourselves. Femme queen, tomboy butch, otter, bear, chicken. 
As if society doesn't make the roles we can play small enough, we make them smaller still. Especially when the ones we cherish so much, the ones that we put on a pedestal, are non-scene straight acting. And they seem to go against everything we stand for as a community. When people say non-scene, what they're really saying is not supporting queer venues. They mean, I actively avoid places designed to create a sportive environment for people and I'm proud of that. Because it's better to adhere to this standard of being a non-gay gay than to mince my tits to Katy Perry. At least that's what I think. The risk, of course, is that queer venues find themselves in jeopardy and close down. A report by University College London showed a 58% loss of spaces in the past decade. Which is fine if you're a cis white male who's able to be openly out. But for some, a queer venue might be the only place they can be themselves. Certainly through this pandemic, with queer spaces closed, I've missed that ability to walk in a room and know there are people like you who can relate to the things you've been through, who understand what prep is and know what Natalie Cassidy does for a living. As for straight acting, honey, we're all straight acting for the first few years. But that's just what it was, right? Acting. There's no pride to be had in the microaggression of suggesting femme is weaker or being able to pass is powerful. If it's not acting, and that's really who people are, then let's just call it that. Just say, straight basic. Hi, I'm Joel. I used to be a twink and now I'm straight basic. I play football. I never wear makeup. And my favourite colour is beige. I joke that Ariana Grande is a coffee because I listen to the same six songs by Maroon 5. I don't top or bottom. I just lie on my side and allow you to admire me. A recent edition of Computers in Human Behaviour looked at a sample of 144 queer men. Among their results, they found that men who proclaim mask for mask or no femmes or real men only were seen to be significantly less intelligent, significantly less sexually confident and significantly less dateable than their counterparts. I'm just, I'm not sure if that makes me feel better. (laughs) What's worse is that these online dating traits feed into negative attitudes towards race and body size. Toxic and aggressive language has been prevalent on Grindr since its inception. We've all seen no fats, no femmes, no Asians plastered across the platform and probably not thought much of it. Especially when justified with the It's just a preference. I fancy white people. We all have a type, right? In truth, hiding behind an online profile emblazons people to be more rude, more dismissive. You wouldn't get away with a no blacks, no Irish sign in a shop despite your preferred customer. So why do we allow it online? Counter to that, the fetishization of demographics pushes individuals the other way as token sexual fantasies. Looking for BBC is not an attempt to pay a licence fee. Whilst trying to create a safe and open space for queer people to connect, apps like Grindr have simultaneously created a platform that not only imposes a hierarchy of seemingly preferred characteristics, but also allows people to search and filter directly within them. If you want to narrow your world to exist exclusively of white male jocks 18 to 30, you can make that happen. In 2018, there are attempts to improve the app with the launch of the Kinder Grinder campaign, stating people will face moderation for discriminatory language. You could still be racist, just quietly. In 2020, they took it one step further and removed the ethnicity filter feature altogether, incidentally still allowing you to filter by body type. 
This seems like positive affirmative action, right? But those affected by the filter were not so sure. Does removing the filter actually tackle the inherent racism or just hide it? Removing it doesn't encourage communication or dispel stereotypes. Writing in GQ magazine, Otamir Guabadier states that the filter allows ethnic groups to find each other in a way they can't against a sea of headless white torsos, that removing it creates further isolation. Build a community with us, he says, free from othering, fetishization, and white gaze. I mean, the act does reek a bit of telling people what they want rather than asking them what they need. Especially when you consider the filter is a paid feature, meaning it becomes a privilege and an earned right for minorities to find people like them, which isn't inclusive. While still trying to sell itself as a community dating app, a Grindr study in March 2021 found that more than two-thirds of users said personality was a more important trait to them than ever. Yet, there's never been a filter option for that. You can filter by race, age, bedroom preference, even bear types, but not by kindness, sense of humour, or even political affiliation. You could fall in love with a six-foot-two white jock within 500 yards of your location, absolutely no idea they're a cruel, unfunny member of the EDL. It's questionable what responsibility apps like this should have to improving the community. At the end of the day, it's just a product, a business trying to make money, but shouldn't all businesses be attempting to make the world better? They're all run by people and people should want better things. But then... This is Grinder, whose straight-identifying former president told his own internal magazine he didn't support marriage equality. So, how much can we really expect? I wonder if the apps are to blame, or whether it's about us, and the way that we interact with each other. We value business more than we value caring for individuals. If a drug company buys a vaccine and sells it on for 300% of the profit, we shrug and say, that's just business. And frankly, I'm sick of hearing that excuse. Businesses underserving minorities kill people. Businesses underpaying staff kills people. Businesses bulldozing the environment kills people. And whenever those things happen, we just brush it off as, that's just business. Imagine us going to the top 10% of earners in the world and saying, We're cutting your income by 20% and investing it in equality programs. We're investing in schools, in healthcare. And when they question it, just say, that's just humanitarianism. They would still be the top 10% of earners in the world. They'd still be richer than 90% of the population. But we would have a wider investment in social programs. Just from switching our focus as people from businesses to humanitarianism. Maybe we should do that. Or maybe I should just delete Grindr. I have been on and off dating apps for the best part of eight years. That's a lot of time. And it becomes like a job or admin process. Constantly checking in like you would your emails. They give this perception that there is always more out there. An endless sea of faces. If this one isn't good enough, keep on swiping. What worries me is transferring from the app to real life. When we become so used to flimsy, unsatisfying chat from multiple people, 
How can we then become focused on flimsy, unsatisfying chat from just one person? Sat in front of us, snoring through Coronation Street. The further push and pull is, the apps don't want you to leave. As a business model, that is not effective. If they partnered everyone super quickly, they couldn't make any money. That's just business. The trick, I think, to making it work online, get to meeting someone in real life quickly. Nothing good can come from months of online chat. It's only 20% of communication. You don't hear their tone, body language, facial expression. As such, you fill in the gaps of who they are, building in what they sound like, how you expect them to be, naturally creating a fantasy of your future. The problem with that, no one will ever beat your fantasy. Even Chad Michael Murray has an irritating habit like burping or biting his toenails. No matter how you create them in your minds, they will never match that. Better or for worse. And that instant disconnect when you finally do meet can be very jarring. Another top tip, always focus on their ugliest pictures. I scan through and picture them at their absolute worst. Then you can only be pleasantly surprised on the day. But mostly, I just want us to get to a place where we can be honest about what we're looking for. Like, truly honest. I say I'm looking for long term, but am I? Like, am I really? Am I even capable of that? Because I don't know if I know what that takes. Do I have the resources for a relationship? I'm so used to being on my own so much of my brand on my work ethic but the compromise in a relationship questions everything and how do you know if a relationship is right we've all been in the bad times the dudes that ghost you shame you sleep with your grandmother with my ex it wasn't like that he was kind and funny and my friends liked him but life was difficult Not hard, not horrible, just a bit inconvenient. And at the end of the day, it was all just fine. Not bad, not great, just fine. And there's a guilt in that. Both ways. Like, if we broke up, am I just fitting back into that stereotype? Oh, gays can't stay together, they're sluts, Aaron's flaky and slept his way around Birmingham. Was fine worth staying for? And if I stayed, I'm keeping a good man from someone else. A prime piece of beef. I mean, it was vegetarian, but he looked like beef. The top tier in that slim little 0.9% of available single gay men. And I'm just wasting it on fine. Like when you hide the sandwiches in the supermarket aisle until the woman comes around with the reduced label. It's not fair, is it? I think you know it's over before it's over. I knew it was over when I looked into his fridge and found half a can of soup. Like, half a can of soup? Who saves soup? It's not filling or expensive. I mean, what kind of person even eats soup? If you've got teeth, you can afford to chew. I mean, have you ever got through half a can of soup and thought, no, I'm full. I couldn't manage another bite. I mean, there's me tearing through a family-sized portion of lasagna thinking, what's for main course? And this guy's saving half a can of soup. That is not my idea of a liquid lunch. At best, for me, soup is a last-minute mixer for alcohol. We're at a Coke, vodka minestrone, anyone?
I know what makes it harder. I have no measure for what a gay relationship should look like. I grew up in Broughton, the largest village in the solar system. It took them six years to get an Aldi. They weren't ready for a gay. I saw no queer relationships growing up. Not in the world around me, on TV or in movies. Even in the books I was shown. Whilst we're constantly showing straight examples allowing us to build models in our mind and overcome difficulties, we don't have a gay equivalent. In fact, I grew up believing inherently not only that I would never get married, but that it was wrong. The first gay kiss on Coronation Street between Todd Grimshaw and Nick Tilsley was unrequited. It wasn't even two gay characters. They weren't even both awake. We never saw a relationship blossom from that. We did see a massive outing and a series of complaints to Ofcom. And this was in 2003. 2003? That's less than 20 years ago. That's less than 20 years of positive reinforcement to undo the decades of work that was done before telling us that gay was wrong. And yet now, because representation has increased, it's expected to undo the years of conditioning. That's why pride is so important. We don't need straight pride because you see it every day, on every platform. From the people on the street to the heteronormative advertising on everything from aftersave to soup. Whole cans of soup, not even half. So where does that leave us? I think, just do it. Enter a relationship, throw caution to the wind, take a risk, but not if it's your cousin. And then let us see these relationships in all their glory for better or for worse, so a younger generation can learn from it. Commit too early. I can't be the only one suggesting a fun third date activity is to delete our apps and merge our Netflix accounts. Or don't. Don't do those things. Be slow. I've watched my female friends commit to houses and cars within months of meeting a new partner. Because tick, 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 when you're a woman, that clock is going. We are privileged that our biological clock is not ringing like tinnitus in our ears. So let's drag it out. Have a once a week boyfriend for months or years if that suits you. Show us the rainbow of relationships to go along with the rainbow of people that we are. I mean, gay people tend to have less experience in relationships. Not like many of us were out cutting our teeth in our teens with invites to prom. I mean, I attended my school prom in the back of a car. Not the back, like the actual boot, behind the dog cage. It's perfectly fine and common for you to be a 30-year-old with no relationship longer than a year. And let's talk about that more. Let's celebrate it. No one gets their 30s without a bit of baggage. And if they do, run. You can figure out the timelines together. Whether you want to meet the parents within the week or you want to box them off completely. Just however you do it, do it with honesty and grace. And good luck. Thanks for listening. This show was written by, performed by, produced by, and recorded by me, Erin Twitchin. I did everything. All from a closet. Which has become so hot, I'm recording this in my knickers. It's all completely self-funded and self-produced. As ever, the best way to support the podcast is by sharing it directly with friends or by leaving a review on iTunes. 
Unless you work for a protein company, in which case, please sponsor me. All links are available on my humbly titled website, iloveerin.co.uk. Remember to hit subscribe, tell your friends, and I will speak with you next time. Love, Erin.